Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. That's the story I want to know. I want to know, I want to know the descent into alcoholism of Chief Brown. We can write that book. Round five. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our fictional Floridian residents and we go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schuber. I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Today, we have some wonderful mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown, and we have two fantastic guests for the competition. Our first guest is someone who you have heard on this podcast before, and if you have not heard his work on this podcast before, you may have seen him playing semi-professional ultimate frisbee specifically in the 2023 national championship tournament here in the u.s johnny frolicstein is our first guest johnny how's it going it's going really well it was a chilly morning uh, and i'm currently in your apartment so it was uh it was a bit cold getting here but now i'm in your very very cozy very shirt-filled closet you know it works for the sound it works for the vibes and we are happy to have you on board and we're also happy to have on board our second guest for this episode you may know this person as a stand-up comedy legend a record setter at live at the apollo the previous host of mock the week and the taskmaster series 14 champion but most importantly the competitive dad from that season it's dara O'Brien. dara how's it going it's a pleasure to be here thank you very much and wow that's a good cv i'm very happy that you've got the salient points there not just the previous host of Mark Week, the only host. It's gone. Okay. Uh, I didn't know, I, you know, in the notes, I just, I didn't know how to artfully say, like, for no, a long ended, time. Not that I ended. It ended. And <laughs> Bravo. Ended. Bravo. We'll aggressively fight in the courts anyone who tries to resume the show under any guise in any, in any <laughs> way. It dies with me is the way to look at this. So, yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. The visual, obviously, we can't, people can't see it at home, but Johnny is in very much mid-Narnia because uh, he's in a cupboard <laughs> and there's like stuff draped behind him as if at any point he could like a fawn move into a kind of a more wintry landscape but i'm sure the sound quality is excellent but it's a delight lads an absolute delight to be here and also a world i don't know yes Encyclopedia Brown. that was going to be one of my first questions is do you have any sort of history with mystery novels of sorts i'm assuming encyclopedia brown has not made its way over to your neck of the woods it has not no i presume he's raised a foxy the uh, that's the only the more famous cultural brown that, uh, his, but the, oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, his name in the books, his name is Leroy Brown. So it's not impossible that that song is about him. But his nickname is Encyclopedia because he knows so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously, look, Nancy Drew, we got the Hardy Boys, we got the Alfred Hitchcock books which are, I, I think, are disappearing into the, uh, like, I mean, like Coco will, uh, when, when the, those of us who remember <laughs> will die, they will die too. But the, uh, they were great for a while. But you see, over beyond, we have, we had Ina Blyton. She was the monster for this. With the Famous Five, the Secret Seven, the best ones were the Five Find Outers and Dog. That was the finest of it all. And if it wasn't for her inherent race, 
that, that she'd be more fondly remembered. But unfortunately, she had a tendency to include very racist tropes in a lot of her books. We do that in the in the US. Oh, good. Okay, fine. Oh, that was, that's good. Oh, great. I didn't yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was on the. Oh, uh, uh, that was available. Okay. The first like ten or so Nancy Drew ones had to be rewritten because there is one where the answer is just that a person of color was in a jewelry store and they were a suspect because they're like, what are they doing buying jewelry? Wow. That doesn't make any sense. And that's like the answer. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you pivoted on that. You know what yeah. I say? <laughs> I say we're not allowed to say anything anymore. Let Nancy Drew be oh, Nancy Drew. Cancel culture in this country. Oh, <laughs> you know, in, in uh, of the what we can't look at, that's what I'm happy with slide. But the, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, to have that be a plot point, mm-hmm. there is an entire Ian Blyton book about Gollywog being a thief. You know, hmm. and like it's just whoa, even saying the words is like, whoa, how is this even passing? So, anyway, yeah, that was the thing, you know, and we, but that was what we had. We had the famous five going around solving surprisingly, you know, serious mysteries about scientists in the countryside. What about Scooby Doo? Did you have Scooby Doo? We did a Scooby Doo. So, we like the reference of, of meddling animals. I absolutely get We love Scooby Doo. I mean, we love it to the extent that, the, uh, that we also load Scrappy and can. You know, Casey Kasem was nothing in the UK, but did have a show. There was a kind of a US top 100 show in Ireland. So we heard Casey Kasem every week. Uh, yeah. And that, that piece of trivia worked for us. Like the stoner culture thing, I'm not, not sure if you got all the references of that. Like, the, yeah, but definitely the notion of, and I would have done it if it hadn't been, that was a running gag here as well. Well, rest assured, when we were children, we also did not get the stoner culture references. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. It's just hungry. Yeah. yeah. He just likes food. <laughs> one that should have appeared again is Hong Kong Fui. Uh, Hong Kong Fui briefly mm. appeared. I'm not sure if either of you are too young, both of you, to know Hong Kong Fui. The only reason I know it is in a newer episode of Scooby Doo, they make a reference to it because there is a character who is an older man that makes a Hong Kong Fui reference and no one gets it. And he goes, oh, kids these days, because it's from the 2003 reboot of Scooby-Doo. So that is the only reason I know about oh it is God. I did that episode on this podcast. So that's how I know Hong Kong Fui. You'd probably look back and go, and it was like probably horrendous. It'd be like living that die or something. It'd be like a, this horrendously clunky, you know, whatever the the Kung Fu James Bond was. But the uh, it would be probably look horrendous now. But the uh, but yeah, Mild Man the Janitor who uh, used to solve crimes. The uh, So yeah. But no, so I've heard, you know, an episode or two of this, like whatever. So I am, yeah, excited to get this wrong dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> in particular <laughs> yeah and, and that's why you you had put out asking you know being on american-based podcasts to yeah. promote your tour which we will get into but you know we're gonna get this special episode up so that you can make sure people come and and see your shows but i had said we'll have to see if your taskmaster prowess can translate to the encyclopedia brown prowess but don't worry i mean that look these are tricky and a lot of them with encyclopedia brown is like did you catch the one minorest detail right. yeah, yeah, that yeah. You, you could ever find so if you flop it's okay and if you get them right brag until the cows come home look my, my ghetto clause is we didn't have that in ireland i can yes. say that for literally <laughs> oh what the, the presence on american um, uh, monetary units yeah no how would i know that like whatever but sandwiches should be toasted i think that was another twist in one of the in one of the episodes we don't we, we didn't have toast sandwiches in our, so look you expect to hear that four times this episode right? <laughs> amazing now johnny you obviously are not from ireland do you have any mystery experience or encyclopedia brown specific mystery experience yeah so my parents bought me all of the encyclopedia brown books growing up 
And I never got any of them right as a child. And upon revisiting those books, like when you started this podcast, I thought to myself like, oh, well, this was for kids. Like, obviously, I'll be able to get these right now. And even reading them, no chance. They're so difficult. And the clues are not like, you know, there was a black man in a jewelry store. You ought to be suspicious of him. It's like they're legitimate and they're just so hard to find. So rest assured, you're not up against a uh, titan of mystery here, so to speak. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Within the books, by the way, is there a point where it would pivot to asking you? It wouldn't like it with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The structure of the book is they basically have each mystery, which is a couple of pages, and then it'll say, for the solution, turn to page. And then in the back, they have like a subsection and then all of the answers there. Okay, so it wasn't woven into, it wasn't woven into that. It was genuinely explicitly said try to solve this right and of course it always it always ends on a dramatic like dun 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 where it'll be like <laughs> encyclopedia brown or third a cool zinger where he'll be like you know they didn't steal the sandwich he's full of baloney and then it'll be like turn to page 67 uh, yeah it's yes. it's good there, there's some crafty crafty writing in these books <laughs> So here is how the show will work. I have prepared four recaps from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have seen or heard or read these ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask for your accusations. Each correct guess of culprit, means, method, motive, etc. will earn you points. But there are also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, since I usually am wrong when I'm trying to figure these out, you will get a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if there's anything else that I think is worthy of a bonus point, whether that is a particularly zany guess or a fun reference or a pun, whatever it is, I'll take it. We got to have the little joys that we can in this world because things are horrendous. So let's have some bonus points and have some fun. Is this going to be like Mario Party where if I win a bonus point category, <laughs> like I get the most puns, then I still get an award? <laughs> I could do that at the very end. It's like you made the most dad jokes. Here's one more point. But if the score is still tied at the end of these four rounds, we will break the tie in the only fitting way, which is with a sudden death riddle. But we'll see if it even gets to that. Now, I mentioned this is a game show for charity, so let's figure out what organizations you two are playing for. Dara, which organization will you be playing for today? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm excited about the mechanism by which you make money off this anyway. So, the, uh, but it's good for charity, doubly so. Yeah. Simon Community, who are a charity for the homeless in Dublin. Okay, amazing. And Johnny, who are you playing for? I'm playing for the American Cancer Society. All right. Great, great, great. So we have two lovely organizations, and I will put links to those in the description. So for anyone listening, if you want to learn more about those organizations, you can click that and learn more. So whoever wins, a good charity will be supported. But now that all the interest stuff has been taken care of, let's put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery of the day, which is the case of the Explorer's Map. So we have a person in Idaville named Sarah Jenkins that comes up to Encyclopedia Brown's home detective agency, which he runs out of his parents' garage. She apparently has started a new club of explorers called the Lost and Found Club. What a fun name. Now, this club is interested in many things, but one thing that they love is old maps. There is someone else in town named Nate Switcher. He contacted the club and says that he has a map made by a Spanish map maker that was on Christopher Columbus's voyage in 1492. Don't worry, Dara. We don't like him over here. We've caught up to speed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We are not delusional I, here. My face creeps in the kind of... Mm, <laughs> no. It's taken us far too long, but I think now America's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now, about this map, Sarah to Encyclopedia Brown says, quote, Imagine what that trip must have been like, sailing into uncharted waters, worrying about falling off the edge of the earth. So she is a flat earther. Encyclopedia Brown clarifies that even Columbus knew that the earth wasn't flat. And Sarah says that she pictures faces in the mist when thinking about Columbus. Encyclopedia Brown says he pictures sea monster attacks. So they're kids. This is just flavor text. But then they go to talk to Nate. And Nate says that he found the map at a flea market in Spain when his family went on vacation there. Encyclopedia Brown does remember Nate and his family talking about their trip to Europe. So they did actually go to Spain. That's legit. Okay. At Nate's house, they go to look at the map, and Nate explains that he found it sitting under a pile of dusty papers at this flea market. And then he pulls out the map, and it's yellow, it's stained, it's got brown edges, all that kind of stuff that would make like my paper teeth. look old. <laughs> Very good. Sarah notes that not much is on the map. There's only a few islands and then the words Atlantic Ocean in very fancy lettering on the water. Nate says that this means it's authentic because Columbus didn't explore much of North or South America, so he wouldn't have known exactly what the land masses look like. He also reminds them that the word American wasn't coined until 1507 after explorer Amerigo Vespucci. So I think that's just the author being like, let's get some fun facts in the mix so that these children can learn from this book. Nate says that he could sell the map to a museum, but he doesn't want it to be hidden away, which I don't know if he's ever been to a museum, but that's not exactly what they do. That's the opposite of what they do. Yeah. They're very front and center with this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They're not a vault. They do obviously have collections uh, behind the scenes, but like, it's really is. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, we don't have dinosaur bones. Also, if the museum really wanted it, they would just take it. Yeah, I'm lucky. Nate says that he doesn't want it to be hidden away. He thinks it'll be better served if the Lost and Found Club here in Idaville, Florida has it. But Encyclopedia Brown says, no need because this map is a fake. So I turn it over to the two of you. What gave it away to Encyclopedia that this map is not legitimate? I mean, I mean, like, is it obvious to point out that, well, first, it, like the inherent contradiction of them going, what it must have been like to go into uncharted waters. Um, she very much dropped the egg there the, uh, because they were uncharted waters. So he was the first to go there. Is that, you know, not the inherent? <laughs> that is that is a fair enough guess. Johnny, do you have the uh, a guess as well? That was similar. It is okay my... if that's your guess. We roll with the honor code here. You know, I, I don't think anyone's cheating to get ahead on this exam. That means nothing. <laughs> um... You feel obliged to come up with a, with a worse guess because that was the thing you were going to say. I wanted to, just to check if it was it that. <laughs> well, my guess was was the land plus the words Atlantic Ocean. I didn't think that they were calling it the Atlantic Ocean back then either. That is perfectly that's my, valid. That's the other part of my guess. Perfectly valid. I will give both of you the Misery Loves Company bonus point because basically my thought was it wasn't called the Atlantic Ocean yet, which I think is similar enough to the waters being uncharted. But Encyclopedia Brown's answer, and I can't believe I didn't think of this, if they found it in a flea market in Spain, why was Atlantic Ocean written in English and not Spanish? (laughs) Okay, sorry, okay. Yeah, right? (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. I mean, it, like he's right, and it's interesting, we, you know, our, our cultural filter, we just automatically presumed that Babelfish was on and that everything had been translated <laughs> in, yeah. for, conveniently for our, for our benefit. Like, the, I was far more working in the, you know, it would have said India, it, like the map would have gone. That's what I was thinking. India. Yeah, they, yeah, so rather than 
you know, the dog like a Florida. The uh, but <laughs> yeah, okay, fine, touche. Yeah. Uh, like we were all but, on yeah. the same page there, though. It's okay. The yeah. two of you are tied one to one as we get into <laughs> yeah, our cool. second mystery: the case of the hole in the book. So Encyclopedia Brown and his junior partner Sally Kimball go to the Idaville local library while it is raining. And when they go inside, the librarian greets them, and Encyclopedia Brown asks if they have any new books in stock. The librarian, Mrs. Moore, says that they have one fewer book than they should because Fast Wheels by Harry Elton had a hole burnt through the middle of it. The hole was found three nights ago by someone named Ben, who cleans after the library closes. Encyclopedia Brown asks, okay, does that make Ben a suspect? And Mrs. Moore says that the hole was made by a cigarette burn and Ben doesn't smoke, so she doesn't think it's him. For context, these books like were written started in the 1960s, so I think this is like before cigarettes inside of a library would not be allowed. So maybe it would be legitimate. Oh, yeah, so of... Casually, in a madman style, people were constantly lighting up and choosing a book to read. Okay, fine. Yes, uh, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, yeah like, just... we're, we're doing, while children ran around with like plastic bags over their heads, you know, <laughs> all, all, the, all the old references. And there was cocaine and Coca Cola. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, all yeah, the glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mrs. Moore says that it was raining that day three days ago when the burn hole happened and only four teenage boys came in the entire day to use the library. So Idaville, not the most well-read of towns, if the most we're getting is four patrons total in one day at the library. Encyclopedia Brown says, okay, what are the names of these four boys? And here are the names. Chris Wilder, Oscar Lane, Gary Silver, and Frank Cloud. So Chris Wilder, Oscar Lane, Gary Silver, and Frank Cloud. The names are important because that will come into how Encyclopedia Brown is solving the mystery. He knows that none of these four kids are troublemakers, and Encyclopedia Brown would know because at this point, this is from like the 20-something Encyclopedia Brown book, and there's 10 per book, so he's solved over 200 crimes, so he knows who are the troublemakers. <laughs> They've no previous yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's got the database. He knows they're yeah. fine. Encyclopedia Brown asks if anything unusual happened when those four boys were at the library, and Mrs. Moore says that none of the employees were watching the boys. Begging my question, what were they doing? <laughs> there's only four people all day oh we had to they, look at all the going, other stuff <laughs> they're just running around shushing the non-existent people but apparently the employees didn't notice anything really quickly what was the name of the person who wrote fast wheels again oh i don't know that this is relevant i think it's just a fake book it's fast wheels by harry elton okay i was just making sure <laughs> i also wrote that down i thought that was going to be a really good clue <laughs> you honestly never know with encyclopedia brown like anything that's the joy of it is that anything could be flavor text or the key to the crime <laughs> yes so well in, in any mystery but it's like harriet wasn't famously a writer of self-combusting books <laughs> <laughs> i like the thought of it though that's a fun like a little yeah, quirk of an author it. it's no panel or whatever <laughs> that you if, if you enjoy the book <laughs> And otherwise, why not just set fire? Why didn't it ignite the book now? Why not just scratch <laughs> the panel in half and just set the whole thing off? Right. Uh, I'm giving Dara a bonus point for the invention of scratch and sniff destructing books. <laughs> <laughs> so you now have a two to one lead. So what Mrs. Moore does say, though, none of the people working at the library picked up on any suspicious activity. But she does pull out a folded sheet of paper that was sent to the library in the mail today. And the paper reads as thus. He burned the hole in the book to find out who 
have a look. And then in all caps, purple month orange. He burned the hole in the book to find out who have a look. And then in all caps, purple month orange. Mrs. Moore looked over it, couldn't make any sense of the words. Sally Kimball wonders if it's a code. And then Mrs. Moore tries to piece together what the code could be. She starts musing out loud. She says, month, months have holidays. Is there a holiday that has purple and orange colors? Then again, the code may have to do with food. Grape jelly is purple and oranges are orange. (laughs) The words could be about holiday or food. So that's what she's thrown out there. She definitely needs Encyclopedia to <laughs> well, resolve this. Well, that's why he is here. Sally Kimball asks Encyclopedia Brown, do you know of any holidays or food that could fit it? And Encyclopedia Brown says, well, I do know about Picnic Day in Australia, which I'm fascinated by. I want to know what Picnic Day is. Yeah. He knows about Picnic Day in Australia and Peanut Sunday in Luxembourg. Don't know what these are, but sound great. Yeah. Mrs. Moore thinks that the code might be related to poetry and maybe a rhyming book would be helpful since the first two lines rhymed. And then Encyclopedia Brown goes, I got it. The code reveals who is the book burner. So I turn it over to the two of you. Who is the book burner out of Chris Wilder, Oscar Lane, Gary Silver, and Frank Cloud? And none of them were named Ron DeSantis. None of them were named Ron DeSantis. And none of them are the author himself trying to make sure his own book gets burned. Uh, who's, um, what was Cloud's first name? Frank. Frank Cloud. Frank Cloud. Chris Wilder, Oscar Lane, Gary Silver, and Frank Cloud. It's something that uh, Chris Wilder is. I think I know a Chris Wilder. I think there is a Chris Wilder who's a football manager in England. It's like a really, that's a really normal name. And then it gets into Frank Cloud and Gary Silver. And they're clearly made up. And I'm wondering, why does Chris Wilder sound... Purple month orange. What was the line about the rhyming? Because purple and orange are famously difficult words to rhyme. The reason she thought of the rhyming is the first two lines rhyme. So he burned the hole in the book to find out who have a look. But then, yes, purple month orange. So all we know is that Encyclopedia Brown's aha moment was because rhyming was brought up by the librarian. Yes. So I, I had the same thought that those are three words that famously don't rhyme. And I think that the word silver also doesn't rhyme with anything. So I'm on team Gary Silver is the book burner Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Dara, was that your same reasoning or do you have a different guess? Oh, no, I I, I have uh, no such uh, music. Oh, hang on, yeah. Silver cloud, every cloud has silver lining, Wilder Lane. I'm trying to put the names together. Oh, it's a conspiracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they the Frank Cloud. Clearly dubiously named Frank Cloud. Um, I don't see the internal logic that I'm supposed to see here. So I'm, I'm, purple month orange. C-W-O-L-G-S-F-C. No. Went through various things. Sorry, in the absence of, um, See, I think it's Chris Wilder because the only name that no, Chris Wilder is is the only name that could be vaguely. See, Gary Silver is such a ridiculously contrived name. That's why I would go, my Instagram would be going with Gary Silver. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, Gary Silver, right? But that's not solving the crime. That would like collapse in court. As, a, as my a old man is Gary Silver, Dara. That's my old man's name. <laughs> my father was killed by a Gary yeah. Silver. <laughs> How dare you say that? Like whatever guy. The um, and Oscar Lane, like the uh. Yeah, but that's not a reason. I mean, Frank Cloud is also purple month orange. Yeah, it's the rhyming thing. 
No, I, I, I wouldn't have jumped like as Johnny did there. So I can claim I'm not going to piggyback in anyway on Johnny's idea here. I would just poo-poo the whole thing and go, it's clearly Gary Silver. I know his type. And then I would just swing around with the cops to take Gary Silver and, and beat a confession <laughs> out of it. That's how I would conduct that operation. Yeah, you're in Florida after all. So yeah, it I mean, look, I would make spurious allegations about the Silver family in the media first. And then <laughs> and then I would follow that up by just taking like Gary out of, out, of, out of the house. I would tie them in red tape and bureaucracy. And then hopefully that would shake the situation down. I was hoping that you were going to say when you read out the names that they would all be named of famous cigarette brands. <laughs> uh, make it really like, and the four boys were Chris Rothmans. <laughs> Stephen Marlborough. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Galois uh, and, and Frank Camel. That mm-hmm. would have been the, I was hoping it would go in that. But why then would, would them be smoking? Mm. Does it come back to the smoking in any way? Does it, is there any indication of smoking or light or fire? Nothing like that. I'm happy to say that you are both correct. It was Gary Silver. So all of your beating up and red tape bureaucracy would have been fine because you got, you know, it's not the journey, it's the destination. You got to the it right answer. <laughs> but at what cost? But at what cost to our freedom? He's a criminal. He tried to burn yeah. a book. It gets results. And that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, by hardcore politics system. Yeah. So yes, it was Gary Silver and Johnny was exactly right. Those are three words that don't have any official rhymes and yeah. Silver is the only last name that also didn't have any rhymes. Bravo. So I will give Johnny the full three points. Dara, I will give you one point because look, you didn't get the method right. You got to the right answer and justice would have been served. Schubert, that's an interesting name. I've got, I've got questions about that name as well. That's, I'm just I'm just starting the process on you now. <laughs> you beat him up? You're going to beat him up now? <laughs> Stage one is just, as I said, go into the media and just kind of go, hmm, those Schubert, that's not an American name. That's what I, that's how it starts. (laughs) And then then you slowly work it from there. Court of public opinion, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If it works, it works. Well, at the end of the second mystery, the game is close. It is four to three in favor of Johnny, as we will go into our mid-episode break, middling adults, and then we will come back for the final two mysteries. The final task! (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I feel like I got to do the, you know, the the one we come back the whole thing the show yeah Fellow sleuths, welcome to Middling Adults, the mid-roll break for meddling adults. I understand that this is a surprise that I am here so soon. It is as surprising to you as it is to me. You're thinking, Mike, you have not even done the wrap-up for season four where you've updated us about how much money you raised for charity and done all of that. No, that is true. I've not crunched the numbers and everything for season four quite yet. I've been incredibly busy with all my Percy Jackson podcast stuff for the new Olympians since the Percy Jackson show is going on. But once all that subsides and the dust clears, I will do all of the finances and everything for season four, and we'll do all of those sorts of updates. But when the world has a situation in which you can get one of your favorite comedians on your podcast and it needs to happen in a timely manner to promote his U.S. tour, you just make it happen and you podcast first and ask questions later. That's always been my policy. As mentioned earlier, and as we will say later, the reason we are putting this episode out so early is that Dara O'Brien has a tour of live shows in the U.S. coming up in the very near future if you are listening to this when we release the episode. January 8th. 18th in London, January 26th in New York, January 30th and 31st in Chicago, February 2nd in Washington, D.C., and February 5th in Boston. You can get tickets to his shows at daraobreen.com, which is D-A-R-A-O-B-R-I-A-I-N.com. 
As far as what's going on with middling adults in the future, there will be a season five continuation later down the road. There will be quite some gap between episode one and episode two, just because there's a lot of work that goes into a middling adults season. But make sure you just follow us on social media so whenever we have updates, you can see those updates. And if you want to support the show and help our charitable efforts, you can head on over to patreon.com slash meddling adults. What we do with the show is we take all of the finances and we cover our expenses. So all of the stuff that goes into the production of the podcast and paying Sherry to do production work and editing work on the show. Once those expenses are covered, the rest of the money goes and is split evenly amongst the winning charities from each season. That includes the Patreon money. That includes the advertising money. So simply just listening to this podcast raises money for charity. And also you can make one-time donations at paypal.me slash meddling adults. Joining the Patreon also gets you some perks such as ad-free episodes and some bonus audio. And I am just genuinely thankful to everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon and just all of you for listening. As I said, just listening raises money for charity and that is awesome. So now we will take a break to have those ads which do help raise money for charity. Some of the ads will be read by me and others of them won't be the ones that aren't read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Ireland, maybe you'll hear some ads read by people with Irish accents. But once those ads are complete, we will get into the final two mysteries for this episode of Meddling Adults. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So we are back, and we are here with mystery number three, which is called The Case of the Lazy Lion. So Encyclopedia Brown and his dad, Chief Brown, are at the circus. The circus owner is good friends with Chief Brown and gives the family tickets every year. Now, if you don't know the full lore of Encyclopedia Brown, his dad, Chief Brown, is the chief of police. So this feels very Goodfellas greasing of the wheels. Like, it feels like the circus guy is like, ah, I give the chief of police free tickets. I'm officially, I think he's allowed to accept those tickets. I think he has to declare that. I think that's uh, their income tax repercussions, if nothing else. Right. It makes me initially incredible incredibly suspicious of the owner that he gives the chief of police free tickets every single year and he's good personal friends with chief brown it feels like the circus they might be doing some stuff that's getting slipped on yeah, radar yeah, yeah. i think that was one of the clarence thomas gifts the supreme court justice. i think, I think, I think he <laughs> got right. free circus uh, tickets yeah, yeah yeah there's a bonus point for you johnny 
So Johnny's up five to three. So Encyclopedia Brown and Chief Brown go to the circus and they are all about the skill of the performers, the daring of the performers and the showmanship of everyone involved. They watch bikers ride motorcycles around the ring. They watch trapeze artists do somersaults and such. And they watch fire swallowers. And then out comes the lion tamer. But the lion tamer is having a little bit of trouble getting Felix the Ferocious to do anything. Felix the lion is just laying around, flipping his tail just being kind of generally lethargic, no matter what the lion tamer does. So then out comes the ringmaster with a wheelbarrow full of stakes and gives them to the lion tamer to try and excite the lion. The lion tamer tosses a few of the stakes at Felix, but Felix has no response and the audience begins to laugh. The ringmaster then has the lion tamer and Felix leave the spotlight to allow a seal troop to enter. So this is a fantastic circus. Lots of stuff going on. And then the show ends and the circus owner, whose name we learn is Phineas Dale, comes to find the Browns after the show. And Encyclopedia Brown says that they really enjoyed the show and he thought the lion act was fun because he thought it was a comedic bit. Encyclopedia Brown says, oh, it was so unexpected. That's really funny. Like, that's a nice thing to do. But Phineas is very upset because that is not what was meant to happen. It was supposed to be a true, ferocious lion tamer performance. And he wants Encyclopedia Brown and Chief Brown to investigate what is going on. He thinks that this is all linked to the constant fighting between the ringmaster and the lion tamer. So they go backstage and they find the two screaming at each other, the ringmaster and the lion tamer. And then the owner... Phineas introduces Encyclopedia Brown and Chief Brown, says that they're personal friends and also the chief of police, but really the person who solves all the crime in the family is his 10-year-old son, Encyclopedia Brown, and they are beginning their investigation. The lion tamer is furious, and he accuses the ringmaster of sabotaging the act. Sorry, imagine you had a kid that could just do your job for you. Like, for me, if I could just come home and give my give a 10-year-old, like, my Excel spreadsheets and have them work magic. <laughs> yeah, Dara, you could just be like, all right, just to your kid, be like, get up on there. You can do this, kid. Yeah, go write some stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 I did the early show. You do the late show. When my kid did do a, t- a task on Taskmaster, I didn't get points for it. Should we just noted the... Uh... Oh, okay, okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But there is like a legitimate, there's a few things in each Encyclopedia Brown book. There's certain like staple sort of formulas and one per book is Chief Brown comes home with a case he can't solve. And then at the dinner table is like, gosh, I just can't figure it out. And then Encyclopedia Brown does figure it out, which feels like (laughs) not a good situation for the local police, child labor laws, family dynamics. It feels bad all around. Deeply emasculating as well. (laughs) Why why don't you just fuck my wife for me? (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah, have sex with my wife, your mom. Oh, uh. okay. Well, yeah, okay, maybe get all today. But we have we have noted a lot of stepchild pornography coming out of America in the last world. So clearly, it's something in the culture. Yeah, but anyway, okay. But there is something still, you know. Dar O'Brien, certified sicko. <laughs> your your sites, man. Your sites. <laughs> Everything is dot com, no dot co dot uk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never. No, we can access it from here, but the um, purely VPN based stuff. But yeah, I mean, it would be the worst thing, uh, surely. You know, he's, he's like 
the chief of police. Like he's actually <laughs> supposed to be like quite good. But he's Oz. He's behind the whoa, I'm the chief of police. Oh, yeah. Back and it's That's a, right. a small child. <laughs> going out Encyclopedia Brown doing all this. Too many references, I know. Um, no, but, it's perfect. It's yeah, perfect. It, it would be hurtful to the man. I mean, that's the story I want to know. I want to know, I want to know the descent into alcoholism of Chief Brown. We could write that book. That's, that's the story. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. My, why I hate my, <laughs> my child Encyclopedia Brown. It'd be good. Yeah, that's the gritty, the gritty sequel series to come out afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Chief Brown is here with Encyclopedia Brown. They're going to try to figure out what happens. So the Lion Tamer accuses the Ringmaster of sabotage. The Ringmaster says that the Lion Tamer is just trying to cover up his poor skill in lion taming. The Lion Tamer says, quote, you're speaking to Majesto. And the way he says this, I just imagine he is like cartoonishly Italian. So I imagine he says this as like, you're speaking to a Majesto, the greatest Lion Tamer of our time. Like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and Sweeney Todd, you remember? <laughs> exactly. Yes. I mean, to be fair, that is also like that character. I, I did see Sweeney Todd on Broadway and like the they, they always do the very, very Italian. So yes, whatever the... But yeah, heard, that's, yeah. It's, that's exactly... Pirelli. 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 That's a spicy accusation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Pirelli continues. Perhaps of any time, even the greatest, though, cannot work with miracles with a drug of the lion. Uh, the ringmaster says the lion is lazy due to poor training, not drugs. So then Phineas, the owner, interjects and tries to get them to calm down and asks them to calmly explain why they think this may have happened. Majesto says that he has been dating Lola the trapeze artist and Coco the clown is unhappy because he's Lola's ex-boyfriend. So we've got drama in the circus, baby. (laughs) I'm on a page of notes now. uh, Just for the internal... How is a 12-year-old... What what age is... Capability Brown here. What age is the child? <laughs> yeah, the, the more the more suit to solve crimes Brown, I believe, is like 10 or 11. I think he okay, is fine. quite young. And he's supposed to navigate the love of life of Majesto. And is out, this 11-year-old is the one who's going to step into this clearly very grown-up situation where there's sexual jealousy and workplace you know, um, insecurities. Quite the tightrope. Isn't it? But no net. There's no net in the tightrope. <laughs> yeah. And the 11 year olds the one they go, why don't we ask the child? Maybe he can see through this situation. So yeah, so please, apologies, but tell me, I need to know more about the unthinkable Encyclopedia Brown. It's the most dramatic mystery that we've ever done, and I'm so excited by it. But yes, Magesto thinks this is all fueled by Coco the Clown because he's unhappy that Lola is now dating Magesto. So Magesto thinks that Coco drugged Felix an hour before the show. But the ringmaster says that is impossible because the clowns were all practicing a new routine up until the show started. Majesto says that he has many enemies in the circus business, and he says that Lola's brother, Bruno the Strongman, never liked him either. So maybe it was Bruno the Strongman. (laughs) So the ringmaster then says that Majesto's work ethic is unacceptable. I like that they say the work ethic and not the fact that he's like clearly stoking drama by, you know, all of the in dating. High maintenance, Majesto. He really is. (laughs) I mean, he's the greatest lion tamer of our time. Or maybe not. (laughs) We'll have to find out. 
The ringmaster says Majesto's work ethic is unacceptable and tells Phineas that he tried to cover up for Majesto with the stakes. Majesto says, I didn't know about the stakes. How am I supposed to know that this is like a cover-up backup plan? The ringmaster says that he should be grateful that the audience thought that this was all how the act was supposed to go. It could have been much worse. The ringmaster says Majesto should be fired because if the lion is poorly trained, then it could be dangerous. Majesto says Felix would never be dangerous and tells the ringmaster that he wouldn't be saying any of this to Felix's face. So I love that he says, my lion is not dangerous and then threatens him with a lion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, what is your what is your sleepy lion going to do? Lion cover me? <laughs> so the ringmaster says that Felix already disobeyed him by turning down the stakes. And Encyclopedia Brown stops this argument before it can escalate even further. And he says, everyone can quit their fighting. I know who is guilty. So I turn it over to the two of you. Who is guilty and who is behind Felix's lethargic performance? Well, look, I mean, in lion taming, if you manage to create a lion that is just like asleep, uh, like that is, you are an extremely good lion tamer. That is surely the high watermark of lion taming. If that you lion- tame into submission, if you like sufferifically like zonked the lion, then you're kind of going, look, what more do you want me to do? The lion mm-hmm. is literally dead to the world. I mean, I'm not one of these lion tamers who keeps on the edge of being angry. That's bad lion taming, surely, that they're on the point of snapping at some stage. So I, I think Majesto is, a, is an excellent, if anything, too good a lion tamer. It's like if you ever go for a massage and you fall asleep at the massage table, the massage was too good. It, it's not it worth no money to you at all. This whatever, if you conk out, like whatever. So let's, I think it's lion taming is not been brought into question for me. The, uh, the, but the stakes arriving is an interesting moment. I think I'm not sure if sorry, I'm, I'm Johnny. I'm sure you've other other theories, but I, I I'm going to go back to that. Like whatever. Sorry, Johnny. You want to come in or? You, oh, I don't... I don't have any other theories. I'm really lost in thinking this through. It, this was like Game of Thrones level complexity. Um, <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? Yeah. But also that they all have jobs within the same milieu. That they all have her brother, also now a strong man, like whatever. And it really does feel like a couple of families just doled out the jobs here. No one had to go outside and become my brother, who is an accountant, as you know, with a large <laughs> firm here. They, uh, no, he's also in the in, in the whole thing. Actually, the accountant's ten year old son does all the number crunching. They yeah, and the strong man's kid lifts all the writes ten kilograms. And, all <laughs> and, and they're brought. The stakes were brought to them when the act was already failing. And the idea is what the stake would create. Right. The ringmaster brought them out in a wheelbarrow. And at the end, he said, you're lucky I had those ready to go, basically. That's that's in itself weird. Why would the ringmaster have a wheelbarrow of meat? Why would anyone have a wheelbarrow of meat? A bucket of meat, a tub of meat, some other container of meat, but like a like a like a wheelbarrow of meat. I mean, nothing yeah, the, massive. The the health and safety protocols. That's got to be the crime. There, that's that's what's getting under the radar with Chief Brown. Is like, don't ask about our wheelbarrows of steak. <laughs> Can you call your next stand-up show uh, wheelbarrows of meat? <laughs> wheelbarrows of steak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or why did you just fuck my wife on me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either one. Or zonked my lion. One of the two. It'd be bad parenting <laughs> going on. Why did you just fuck my wife on me? <laughs> yeah. Look, look, he's high maintenance. Weirdly, the one who needs to be tamed is Majesto. Majesto's gone wild here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, although when were, these were written in the 80s, weren't they? 
I think this particular one actually came out in the early 2000s because he started writing them in the 60s and then they would come out like every couple of years. And this is from, I think, Encyclopedia Brown number 25. But they still all kind of like thematically still take place in the 60s because Encyclopedia Brown still charges a quarter to solve mysteries. And like in 2000, by this point, we are far past buying 12 hamburgers with a quarter. He charges dad a quarter? (laughs) (laughs) He needs to charge his dad a full salary. Yeah. (laughs) Like literally, what did you make today? What will you lose when you lose your job? You can have to do <laughs> solve your crimes. I worked it out for you. The because uh, if we, if it depends how early the books were, obviously then we, we would just blame uh, Lola, the Japanese artist, because yeah, because <laughs> she's a woman. Yeah. 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 So it turns out she's a tramp, and she is, and her <laughs> sexually promiscuous behavior has what created this entire situation. <laughs> she was asking for it. Look what yeah, she was absolutely. wearing in that trapeze I mean, outfit. A terrible example. Like whatever. It is a saucy outfit, so you know what I mean? At the, uh, it is so many ways. That, okay, but if it's 2000, I'd like to think that it has gone the other way. I mean, you know, is there any evidence that the ringmaster also loved, loved it? The ringmaster is presumably the brother of Coco because if everyone's, you know, family is in the same thing, I feel that the sexual jealousy part of it, like whatever, if you feed a line before the show, because there are wheelbarrows of meat around, the line will doze through the show. Lines move very little. I'm now thinking like the way a, a precocious 10 year old would talk. Lines move very little. They only have a certain amount of impetus to move. If it's been taken away, they've been fed by somebody else beforehand. And the man with his hands on wheel, literally wheelbarrows of meat must have fed the line in advance and just dulled the edge which is used to train them. That's my actual theory. There you go. Because he too was banging Lola the trapeze artist <laughs> and Coco. Coco got another Coco's out. The lion was banging Coco the trapeze artist. <laughs> <Also, laughs> the lion's is the guy in a suit. Uh, and he, <laughs> it turns into a whole furry thing. Uh, and so that's what it is. I think the ringmaster fed the line in advance and the line was because of it. All right, Johnny, what are you thinking? I think that you're, so I did not think of this before you said it, so I don't think this counts, but I think the theory that why would the ringmaster have a bunch of steaks at the ready is like, that's the smoking gun here. That said, my guess before that, I had nothing. So I'm going to go ahead and say that, what was the strong man's name? Bruno, I believe. Bruno the strong man, because only a strong man can drug a lion. (gasps) That's very good. Mm, Okay, okay. Well, I am happy to report that Dara was correct, and you were the most correct you could be possible. So correct that I'm giving you a bonus point because it was the ringmaster, and the key thing was that the meat was at the ready, and Majesto said that he had no idea about the wheelbarrow of meat. So this is not like the normal way in which it's fed. This is not the normal like pull cord in case of emergency type thing. And the next step was, this is just like a flavor text thing. The reveal of why the ringmaster wanted to do it is because he he was in love with Lola and he wanted to make the lion tamer look bad and get fired. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Who is running this place? It's like <laughs> the set of Tootsie. Who is in charge of the show? It's Phineas, the dirty circus runner who pays off the police. It's a, oh, it's a corruption to the top. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to give you a bonus point there just because it was so fantastic. So that has catapulted you into the lead seven to five as we go into our final mystery of the episode. The Case of the Red Roses. So, we have Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball at the Harris Drugstore because Sally Kimball wants to buy a Get Well card for her friend, Sally Kimball, proving to be very nice. Bugs Meanie, the town bully, 
is standing in the drugstore near a table that has red roses on it in a display. And he's just watching. Encyclopedia Brown notes that from where he is in the store currently, he can see the candy racks, the customer line, and Mr. Harris, who runs Harris Drugstore, behind the counter. This is what bugs can see or what? So I think the, the vantage point thing was that they were at the place to get cards, and from the cards they could see the line, Mr. Harris, and where Bugs Mini was standing. So I think what it's really just trying to let you know is that when it comes down to crime solving, I couldn't see this is not one of the things. Like, it's vantage points don't necessarily come into factor here. Candy rack, Mr. Harris and... He can see the candy racks, the line of customers, and Mr. Harris behind the counter. So everyone's got a clear vantage point of everything you could see in this drugstore. Encyclopedia Brown then sees that there are other tigers in the store. So the tigers are the local gang of troublemakers in town. Bugs Meanie is the head of the tigers. You know the tigers are bad because the narrator always says zingers about how mean they are. In this passage, the narrator says, quote, The tigers should have called themselves the lamp chains. They were always pulling something shady. Wow. Oh! 10 out of 10 no notes. It's the best one I've ever heard, and I've read 20-something of these books. The lamp chains, because they're always pulling something shady, is incredible. <laughs> I would love, I don't do rap battles, but I would love just so I could pull that out as a zinger right at the end. <laughs> something, something, something lady, call me yeah. lamp chain because I'm so shady. Mm-hmm. It, oh, absolutely. Could you imagine, if that was the end of 8 Mile, <laughs> if that was, if Eminem worked his way up to, and then there's a the guy there and he said, you're a lamp chain. <laughs> I can't do the rhythm, but I believe mm-hmm. like whatever, because you're putting a lamp chain. And the crowd went, <gasps> yeah. and bikes dropping from all over the place, like whatever that is. <sighs> What a roast. What a burn. It's really good. It's funny. The narrator has the best burns. Like Encyclopedia Brown and Bugs Meany will jaw at each other sometimes, but the narrator is always bringing the most spice. Yeah. So, yeah, the tiger should be the lamp chains because they're always pulling something shady. There is a particular instance of why they are on edge here because last week, Sally Kimball intervened when one of the tigers, Duke Kelly, threatened to beat up someone else in the neighborhood, Robbie Pickens. If he didn't trade Duke his bicycle seat for a can of ginger ale. So Duke Kelly, one of the tigers, proposed to Robbie, hello, I would like your bicycle seat. I will give you a can of ginger ale. And then Robbie said, no, thank you. That is a terrible trade. And then Duke said, well, now I'm going to beat you up if you don't accept my offer, which I don't think is how negotiations work. So then Sally Kimball happened to be there. She intervened and tried to stop the fight, Duke Kelly took a swing at her. She ducked the punch and then clocked him in the face in one punch, knocking him out. It is of note that Sally Kimball is the tallest, smartest, and prettiest girl in the class. So she is very powerful. And usually once per book, she beats up either Bugs Meany or someone from the Tigers. So very true to form, Sally Kimball. She's a fantastic human all around. Okay. But no one's ever laid a fist on Sally Kimball because she seems to be, you know, people are swinging at her. They try to. They actively, like, the Tigers don't care. I guess, like, they're weirdly feminist in that they try to beat up Sally as well. But she always puts them in their place, gives them the old one-two, the old razzle-dazzle. Yeah, okay. So that happened last week. So when Encyclopedia Brown sees who's in the store, his eyes perk up because he knows something might go down. Because in addition to Bugs Meany being in the store, Duke Kelly who had this argument with Robbie is in the store and Robbie is also in the store. 
So, Encyclopedia Brown is at high alert. He wasn't necessarily called in to solve a crime. It was just going to buy cards with Sally. But he knows, based on who's in here, I should keep my eyes up because I'm actually the chief of police. So then he sees that Duke is standing right behind Robbie in line. And while this is happening, a patron just in the drugstore bumps into the table with the roses. And the roses and the vases begin to wobble. And then the vase falls over onto the ground. The vase thankfully does not break but the roses all spill out. So a clerk from the drugstore rushes over, collects the roses, puts them back in the vases, and then puts them back on top of the table, fixing the display. Then the clerk goes back, doing whatever sort of work they were doing before. In line, Robbie is paying for a chocolate bar when Duke all of a sudden holds up a chocolate bar and says that he took it out of Robbie's pocket because Robbie was trying to shoplift and he caught him in the act. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Robbie immediately protests, saying that Duke is lying. But then Bugs Meany rushes over and tells Mr. Harris that he saw Robbie do this. He saw Robbie take two candy bars from the candy rack, put one in his pocket and then carry one to the line to check out. Mr. Harris is busy, and he just tells all the kids, wait outside, let me finish with all of my other customers, and then we'll discuss this. So then they go outside afterwards, and Sally Kimball says to Bugs, you are lying, you bag of donuts. So not as good of an insult as the narrator. Yeah. Bugs insists, no, 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 I did see Robbie steal that candy bar. Encyclopedia Brown asks Bugs how he saw all of this, how he saw Duke take the candy bar out of Robbie's pocket at the exact right moment, and Bugs says that he was smelling the roses by the candy and saw it happen. He was looking over the roses and saw it all take place. Bugs then calls himself America's teenage heartthrob and can't believe that Encyclopedia Brown would accuse him of lying. But Encyclopedia Brown says he knows he is lying. So I turn it over to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Bugs Meany was lying? Wow. Okay. I mean, again, a lot to dig through here. I mean, yeah. To break it down in the simplest of forms, you've got Bugs Meany near the table where the roses are. Yeah. You've got a lady that bumps into the table. The vase and the roses fall over. A clerk comes and then basically just like takes the vase, puts the roses back in, and then walks away and is done. Yeah. And then the candy bar thing happens where Duke holds a candy bar up in the sky and says that he took it out of Robbie's pocket because Robbie was trying to shoplift. And then Bug says, yes, I saw all of this happen. Duke is telling the truth. Yes. I'm saying because he was smelling the roses when it all occurred. Yes. Yeah. He says he was smelling the roses when it all took place. Johnny, I don't know. I stepped in on the last one in a big way. Please. Uh, I'll give you first tip. Well, I'm going to have to vamp because I'm still processing. So so let's see. Was Bugs in love with Lola? The <laughs> um, He's quite the enchantress, Lola. Yeah. They, uh, put on a spangly costume and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was dressed as a rose. How did Encyclopedia know that Bugs didn't see? Man, it feels like the vantage point thing is relevant, but you already said it's not. Yeah, I, I will just say it has nothing to do with the visuals. He just, There's something that happened where he knows that Bugs is lying about what he said he was doing and said he saw. Can then I ask, were the roses real roses or were they false roses? Were they, you know, silk, as they, as they say in the flower industry? They're real flowers, presumably, with a scent. That's the thing. Okay, see, I, yeah, okay, Grant. I, Goodness, how does he do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The um, because okay, sorry, sorry, John, John, please, John. Put, put, get, so I think I think the flowers might have been fake. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did key in on the the, uh, the idea that the vase didn't break as important. 
to the notion that that something might be amiss, but I got nothing. So I'm going to say that Bugs was, in fact, in love with Lola the Trapeze artist, and <laughs> therefore... A perfectly good reason to, yeah, to do it. Yeah, perfectly good reason to lie about... There was actually an encyclopedia... The only one that I remember from my childhood... This is actually going to be my guess. The only one that I remember from my childhood was a situation in where the chocolate bar should have melted because it had been out in the sun all day. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say that the chocolate bar in his pocket should have been melty, but it wasn't, and therefore encyclopedia knew that duke had just taken it i love that yeah they mr harris brought in a forensic specialist and he had one of those thermo yeah, pens and, yeah. <laughs> and looked at the internal yeah. temperature was yeah, wrong yeah, yeah. yeah obviously yeah. that's what happened <laughs> yeah yeah it was all infrared the whole thing is the whole thing is done in infrared that shop everything is, is done constantly they knew everything um no water fell when the vase fell no mm. water splashed in the ground the unbreakable vase bounced the flowers skipped everywhere so the flowers are either quite dead or fake flowers uh, so you wouldn't be smelling them. So the notion that you were taking the scent of the flowers is clearly a lie. You weren't doing that at all. And therefore, because you've lied about that, you're lying about everything. But uh, Bugs Meanie with your terrible nominative determinism name. There's <laughs> never any doubt that you're going to end up in, in, on the wrong side of things, like whatever. But yeah, there was nothing to smell. And also, see, my original character, the police chief who just gets things done uh, from a few years ago, would have just gone, you're not the kind of kid who likes the smell of flowers because you're not, you know, you're not sensitive enough. Take them to the cells and beat them up. It would have beaten them up anyway for that. But I think it's because there was no smell of the flowers. And then you probably would have tapped his phone, you know, just t- <laughs> continuing to Look, I'm just Patriot saying, Act your way into this. <laughs> <laughs> the Patriot Act has given a lot of powers that have proven to be very useful. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of small town crimes being wiped out by this kind of like, <laughs> constant surveillance. Like we have the small price to pay for living. The, uh, or it's the other way around. Well, I am happy to say that, Dara, you have 100% nailed it. It was the fact that there was no water in the vase, which made Encyclopedia Brown realize these roses are fake, so there's no need to smell them. There's no scent to be had, so that is what gave it away because the clerk just put him back and then walked away. If there was water, the clerk clearly would have gotten out a mop or something like that. So that is what gave it away. The roses were fake, and thus Bugs was not smelling them, so this was all a sting operation and it was failed. And that means that, Dara, you get three points. Johnny, I did give you a bonus point for the fun alternative theory of the warm pocket chocolate bar. I like that as a guess. But I thought that was genuinely really, really good. I thought there was a lot mm-hmm. going on there. I mean, I only yeah. got it from a different Encyclopedia Brown mystery, so don't give me too much credit. Even better. It's consistent within the yeah. universe. <laughs> But what that means is that, Dara, you are the champion of this episode. You have won with a score of 10 to 6, meaning you have earned money for the Simon community. How does it feel to reign victorious in this episode of Meddling Adults? Honestly, it's to step into the world of the unsinkable capability, um, Foxy Brown, whatever his, whichever <laughs> the many, all the Browns have, have great names, the, uh, whichever the Browns is. Uh, has been a, a delight, but I worry about the ancillary characters and the high cost that they pay within these stories. <laughs> just the, bro- the trail of broken hearts, the emasculated father, the path Bugs is on. Bugs is on a bad path in like constantly. He's, in a, he's a gang member already. It's crimes, like whatever. This kind. Of, I mean, in many ways, he's the least interesting character within the stories. Encyclopedia. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, he's not paying the high cost of this. He's gonna he's gonna get a tattoo of a lamp chain though on him. Oh <laughs> man, he's gonna he's gonna own that. He's gonna Claim They'll it. be wearing lampshades on their heads. <laughs> yeah. So love it. You know, mm-hmm. that would be their gang thing. So yeah, I think the, I think the, the secondary characters are, are where the real story is here. 
Yeah. I, well, I think I think we've already established that. I, I, you know, if you're looking for a new a new book to write, a new <laughs> new creative endeavor, just the the gritty story of the downfall of Chief Brown and maybe the rise of Bugs Meany realizing the error of his ways and his nominative determinism. You know, that is a proper universe. Maybe maybe they end up cooking meth together because one of them can't afford their cancer treatment. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. Have we found the prequel? <laughs> oh, well, thank you both so much for joining. Johnny, you still put up a good fight. This was very fun. Still a close one. Could have had it if just one mystery went your way, but it was a fun episode all around. Now, Dara, we had mentioned that a big reason for this episode was promoting your U.S. tour, which is about to take place to kick off in New York City. What shows are available? When are they? Where can people see you? Uh, doing five shows uh, across the states. I'm in Town Hall, I believe, um, is the full title of Town Hall on the 26th. Then I go to the Den in Chicago on the, I think it's the 30th and 31st. Um, I'm in Capital Turnaround, which is the weirdest name for a theatre in DC. It really just feels like it's a roundabout, and you all gather in the middle of the roundabout. I'll do the show in the middle of the roundabout, but you do roundabout. Oh, DC does. DC, DC does. Sure does. Okay, fine. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I have a capital turnaround, uh, turnabout, turnaround, anyway, in DC. And then we end in the Wilbur in Boston on the 5th of February. So it's a short and sweet chance to do the current, and it's the very end of a tour that I've been doing for about two years. It'll be a celebration of the very last of this big show that I've been doing for the last while. So it's a nice and refined then. Oh, it's done. It's really, I mean, it's exhausted <laughs> of it. Uh, and you know, genuine fatigue and after, no, no, I'll still, I'll be up for the, for the last five. I can get over the line. I will say about two months ago, yeah, I probably wasn't selling it as much. <laughs> I'd really got bored of it there. But now, because it's the last ones, Oh, there'll be there'll be a bittersweet poignancy to the shows as well, as I realize I will never get to tell these stories again. Just like the bittersweet poignancy on this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, we yeah. really, really want to see the darker side of all of this. Yeah. So they, they would come along and do that. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, I have a website, Dara O'Brien. If anyone can try to guess what, how that's spelled, <laughs> DaraObrien.com uh, is the thing. The uh, Try various permutations of it. We will put a link to the tickets in the notes so that you don't have to figure out how to spell it. And then how do I get that O with the thing on the top line, of it? What is this? Because if you yeah. Google it without it, it won't show up. Yeah, it honestly does. I mean, we're, we're not precious about it either. We are aware that it's the language that we are foisting on you. You know, fine, fine with that. Like, yeah. But anyway, that's why. That's why I'm here doing that. Like, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Johnny, anything for you to promote for the people to find you? Yeah, my buddy Dara is doing a US tour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to go. Amazing. Yes. Well, thank you both so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And, you know, this was just a fun time. Glad we could step into the world, not only of crime solving, but, you know, telenovela-esque drama going on with a circus full of meddling adults. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by me, Mike Schubert. Sherry Guo is our editor and producer, and I want to give a special thanks to Sherry for getting this edit up and over to me so quickly. The turnaround on it was quite quick, so thank you, Sherry. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Maayan Atias. The website is by Kelly Schubert, and the social media is by me, Mike Schubert. If you want to join in Meddling Adults' charitable efforts, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash meddlingadults. You can 
give a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddling adults, or you can just tell someone about the show because every download of meddling adults helps raise money for charity because the ad money goes to charity as well. So if you just tell someone about the show, whether that is reaching out to someone directly who you think would like the show, or if you post about it on social media, or you just leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using, all of those things help the show grow and more people finding the show means more. And more people finding the show means more people listening to the show, which means more downloads, which means more ad money, and that means more money for charity. You can learn more about the show at meddlingadults.com. You can follow us on social media. We're at meddlingadults on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. And until you hear the next thing on the feed, which will probably be information about how much money we raised for season four before we get into episode two of season five, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the show, you bunch of meddling adults. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.